Hello, everyone. It's treason and executions today because I wasn't here last week because I was doing both of those excellent exhibitions down in London with my good friend, Dr. Kat. And I'm going to take you through as much as I can of the exhibitions today because I know many of you wished you could have gone or have gone, and I'm sure you'd like to chat about it as well. Um, so that is what we're going to do today, executions and treason. We're going to do it the other way around, treason and executions. They were actually separate exhibitions on uh, in two completely different places, but they seem to run on quite well from each other, and so that is what we did in one day. My, Dr. Kat and I went to the treason exhibition that was at the National Archives that has now closed and then to executions at London, at the Museum of London Docklands, which I think closes on the 16th, which would be Sunday. So um, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm, I've got a few, uh, or on Facebook, excuse me, I've got a few pictures to bring up. Not a lot, not a, not a huge amount because you kind of put turns out on my software. I can only upload 10 there were so many more but if you are signed up to my free substack letter um then uh you would have already seen a few of them excuse me let me see if i can get these comments up so i can see them better um hi everyone who i can see some very familiar uh names coming up hello welcome how are you doing um and uh Hello, thank you for joining me live. I'm streaming live on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram, of course. Hello if you're in the catch-up crew and also welcome, of course, if you are listening on the podcast. Um, so uh, it's... Um, oh, no, I can't get these. Let's have a look. Um, thank you, Maria. Yes, I had an excellent Easter. I hope everyone else did, whether you are celebrating it for its uh, traditional means or for the chocolate, whatever, for the family time. I hope uh, I hope you all had a great weekend anyway. Um, so, <laughs> Melissa, I'm good as well. Yes, you're waiting for your coffee to finish. I have my tea. It is Tea Time History Chat Live of a Wednesday every week at one o'clock. Like I say, I wasn't here last week <clears throat> because I was at these exhibitions. So that is what we're going to cover today. Um, and Yolanda, I can see I love British history. Well, if you like British history, then you are in the right place. I try and cover as broad a range of eras as possible um, and stories and places. So it's quite a good mix for you. Um, remember, please, you can support this live stream and all the free work that I do on Instagram with badges, on YouTube with Super Chats, Facebook with stars. You can go along to my substack and uh, not just that you, Catherine doesn't have tea. That's because we still need to educate her. Um, we, uh, we, uh, we, yeah, so you can, you can support me that way. You can go along to my free substack, which is, oh, I can't remember, philippa.b, philippab at sub, uh, dot substack.com, I think. I'll, I'll put the, the link is in my um, Instagram bio. Um, and that's my free weekly newsletter. You can also, and what I'd love you to do, is come along to my Patreon. Patreon, uh, it's British History on Patreon. It's £5 a month and you get lots of um, different uh, 
and wide-ranging historian uh, history lover benefits, including Ask a Historian Your Own Questions. Um, if you are a patron already, make sure you get over to the site uh, and put your question forward for Sarah Slater, who is the, uh, which is one of the um, fantastic tour guides at Hampton Court Palace. So we're going to be asking her all about guiding Hampton Court Palace, but the story she knows. Sarah actually. Uh, guides my tours when I take them to Hampton Court, my tour groups when I take them to Hampton to- uh, Court Palace and the story she knows, just they're, they're incredible. So um, so we're going to get a few out of her uh, when I do the interview. Um, Amy, um, I went to the Imperial War Museum on Monday mm-hmm, to saw the Holocaust exhibition, cried my eyes out. I remember seeing that quite a few years ago and um, it has stuck with me as it should. But yeah harrowing harrowing um well i will warn you today's ex- today's um topics of treason and especially the execution ones um are a little harrowing as well um not uh, not as much as if you've been to the uh imperial war museum I, I i don't think but um um but yes so just to just to warn you uh linda in michigan how are you how are you? I hope you're doing well and had a lovely weekend with the family. Uh, Maria, I've worked at the Tower of London and Hever Castle, so lovely to be part of it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What fabulous workplaces that you have had. Um, yeah, so I thought I would take you through um, some of my favourite that seems a bit odd, actually. Parts of the exhibitions, they did go really well together, and there were a couple of the uh, stories that linked through uh, from one to the other because, of course, execution had followed treason um, in in all of the cases. So, but anyway, so there were a few um, stories that overlapped, which I thought was really good. Just as a um, sort of heads up to look out for things as well, the National Archives, it was a brilliant exhibition anyway. The number of documents that you would go along to see, just one of them, and there was so many of them like that there, and I'm going to take you through them. Um, And um, the, the space was really good. So look out for the National Archives what they've got coming up next I don't know what it is but also look out they do a lot of online events I'm actually attending one tomorrow on the Magna Carta so anyone you know if you're interested in this sort of thing um, doesn't matter whereabouts in the world you are have a look on the National Archives website for online events and then the um, the executions exhibition was on at the Museum of London Docklands now the Museum of London I've spoken about before that used to be at the um, Barbican I think was it was. Um, I got that wrong. I think it was on the 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 London on London Wall Road. That's the original Museum of London, and it just closed at Christmas, ready to be moved to its um, new site at not Smithfield. What's the other one? Anyway, it's closed for a couple of years. But the 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 Museum of London have this Dockland site as well fabulous exhibition space um and they used it so so well so again have a look out for if you know if you're coming to london have a look out for what they might have on while you're while you're there um right let's go for it 
Now, some of you have got my would get my newsletter, or if you're on my Patreon, you've seen some photos and you've heard me talk about this exhibition before. But I think it's worth repeating some bits, and there's also some bits that I've not been able to cover yet. So, so I'm going to do that because um, it's a dreary day. It's a horrible weather here at the moment. It's less. Uh, no, it's just over a month till the first tour, till the Amberlynn tour in May. And touch wood, we usually have really good weather. And it rained like this last year, right up until the first day of the tour. And then and then it was fine. So please, please do that again. Um, actually, another thing to mention before I get going is the books that went with the exhibitions, because you can get these. This, The History of Treason, um, is on Audible as well. That um, accompanies the exhibition that was on at the National Archives. And executions, this is a smaller book, so this might be a little bit easier to get hold of with postage, I'm not sure. Um, this one went with the exhibition that was on at the Museum of London Docklands. So, yes, Melissa's so excited. Not long now, not long now. Ah. This is very exciting when it gets into tour season. Come on, weather. Come on, weather. Although, to be fair, at some I did, I did one tour I did, and it was raining. And, and one of the ladies from America, she did turn around to me. She was very sweet. She turned around and went, Philippa, we don't come to England for the weather. Fair point. Fair point. Okay, so let's kick off the treason exhibition. Um, now, this is where I think the book as well is well worth a go. This is this is oh, also there's um. There's a podcast, uh, the Rest is History podcast. If you look that up, they interviewed, uh, I think they did two or three episodes where they interviewed the guys who put together this exhibition. And um, so that was, in, that was, in, that was incredibly insightful. And obviously that's free and, um, and a good, good um, introduction, delve actually, dive into the world of treason. Now, the Treason Act is the first piece of uh, first uh, manuscript that you see, and it's centre to the exhibition. It was uh, Tales from the Fox Den. Bad weather is a good excuse to have a nice cup of tea. It is. It is. It is. There's, there's not. So, it's not so good on a sunny day, actually, is it? A, a cup of tea. So, um, uh, Linda. Amberlynn tour in 2022 was gorgeous weather. It was, but it, it rained right up until, no, right up until a few days before, because I spent a few days with you before, didn't I? A few days before, and then the day we left, it poured down, didn't it? It was like we got the sunny window, so fingers crossed, everybody. Um, so you first go into the, this, the exhibition, and it was the actual uh, act, um, uh, the Treason Act, 1530. One, if you're a lawyer, two, if you're a historian. And the reason for that is it was passed in the January. Hi, Jenna, how are you doing? Uh, the Act of, uh, for, uh, act, sorry, excuse me, the Treason Act was, was passed in January 1352, if you think about it from a January to January calendar. But at the time, up until the um, 25th of March, was it, was was considered, so it wasn't New Year until, until basically the middle to third week in March. So it's, you may hear it as the Treason Act 1351, uh, uh, and that's the reason. Now, 
treason had already been a crime, quote unquote, a crime, because it wasn't, there was no act of parliament that went with it. So this was a attempt to categorize, define exactly what treason was, because it was a fluid concept. Um, as you go through the exhibition, and, and if you read the book, or if you listen to the podcasts about it, actually, it I, from, my, from my understanding, it remained pretty fluid. And you only have to know a little bit about the Tudor period, for instance, or go into the Stuart period with the um, trial of Charles I, uh, to, to realise that the definition of treason was moulded to what was required by the powers that be, whoever they were and whatever purpose they had at the time. So what I think you'll find interesting, though, especially if you are a bit of a Tudors fan, and we'll get on to the trial document of Anne Boleyn a little bit later on, because that was in the exhibition. In fact, that was the one that that was the, that was the document that got me to uh, or pricked my ears to get me to go all the way down to London to uh, have a look. You were maybe, or I'll tell you, and you may remember, Anne Boleyn was tried for treason. The men were tried for treason. Um, now, the men were tried for treason, but from a different, um, uh, so the crime was the same, but the, the way they committed treason was different to the way Anne committed treason. And this was to do with the, the, the the bit, if you remember, the encompassing or uh, imagining the death of the king. Now, that sounds like a Henry VIII thing. I actually thought it was a Henry VIII thing, that it sounded like, um, especially the imagining, imagining the death of the king, that's a bit much. Um, you know, and in, in Henry's time, you, know, uh, you get to the point where people don't want to talk about the, they don't want to tell him he's dying on his deathbed he's a he's catholic he needs to hear his last rites and no one wants to tell him he's dying because this has been a treasonous you know this is this this is a treason to to imagine the king's death but that was in the original act of treason i'm going to say 1532 for uh um simplicity purposes so that actually is in the act of treason from the beginning the encompassing or imagining the death of the king and it would be king. Um, also in there was the violation of the king's wife, the queen, the violation of the king's eldest daughter, the violation of the heir's wife. That is what the men in 1536, uh, along with Anne Boleyn, um, uh, they, that's their, that was their treason. Her treason was imagining the death of the king. Um, Maria, is that still a law now? I hope not. There's so many. I mean, I, no. <laughs> They're they, very interesting question as to when it was taken, um, when it was taken off the statute books, actually. But um, I mean, it stood clearly so for a very long time it had to be um and I've, I've done an actual um live on this when I did the if you look a few episodes back when I actually looked at 
how could we try a king of England? Uh, well, king, sorry, because the the act says that um, that you can't imagine the death of the king. It, it, it's basically to protect um, protect the king and protect his power. Never would it have been envisaged that you could have turned that on the king himself, which is what happened in the case of Charles I. Now, because I've done a whole episode on that, I'm not going to go into it now. And it's, it, I mean, it took a lot of legal, um, mind-blowing um, g- gymnastics, really, to, to get there. And um, Maria, there are still ancient laws applicable today, aren't there? Yeah, there are some. I don't think there are as many, you know, when you see the memes of like, you can still, I don't know, shoot someone for carrying a twig, I don't know, whatever, um, on a bus. <laughs> There's like, or you can't eat chocolate on a Tuesday if you're a woman, I don't know, whatever. Um, I think they're just more for, they're for, more for the likes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so, so that, um, the bit that you may have known about, about the act of treason uh, from looking at the, at the trial of Anne Boleyn, that um, that was there from the beginning. Um, now, there's a few documents that I, let me see if I've got them on. Uh, so if you're on YouTube and Facebook, I'm bringing up some documents on Instagram. You can always pop over and have a look later. Um, Claudia, I'm curious what you feel about Anne Boleyn. <laughs> in in what way, Claudia? Uh, we can. Um, well, I do a tour on her every year. In fact, I've got two tours on Anne Boleyn this year. Now, it's not because I have any. Um, I'm, I'm not somebody who is a sycophant for anybody alive or dead. Uh, it, she is a pivotal figure incredibly interesting lady uh, in history and people love to learn about her and we love to talk about her so um Castor von Clem we have a law like that here too something about alligators in a pool or riding elephants on Sundays <laughs> I mean they're important things to get down on paper we need to know where we stand with our elephants on Sundays or not stand with them or whatever so the document I have up, and I will explain it uh, to you on Instagram. I've got it up on YouTube and Facebook. This, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Act of Attainder against Richard III. It was created posthumously by uh, Henry VII and his his um, Parliament. And this is the document that you may have heard of already this is the one that dates the reign of Henry VII to the day before the Battle of Bosworth. Why would you do that? It means everyone including Richard himself who turned out on the battlefield that day turned out as a traitor. (laughs) So I mean it's audacious. It's audacious Uh, It was an audacious move, but he did it. And this is one of the first things Henry VII does. He's, I mean, you could say he's a politician, um, but he just made something up to get his way. Now, everyone who turns out on the field of battle 
who is now obviously under the new uh, Tudor regime, he can forgive. But that document does say that you're guilty. So be careful. But he'll forgive you for now. It's a it's a power it's a power piece of power play. Um, I'm just trying to find now. I may not be able to as we're speaking. Um, the actual um, sort of crimes that that they put against Richard, because there is something in there about spilling children's blood. Now, obviously, the case of the princes in the tower incredibly controversial. <laughs> Even this far past it, who did it? Why did they do it? Um, uh, but yes, but the the fact is that um, that they have that that Henry the Seventh had this Act of Parliament, this Act of Attainder passed. Um, so no, I'm not going. To, I'm not going to spend a long time trying to find it now. But there is there is something about spilt blood and and uh, and children. Um, Claudia, I know Henry wanted to get rid of her. I don't believe she was guilty, but for those days she was pretty arrogant, uh, if you will, although I do respect her for many things. So the charges against Anne Boleyn, well, we'll come back to Anne Boleyn, actually. Should we come back to Anne Boleyn? Because I do have, um, I do have a, the copy of um, the uh, document to have a look at over on Facebook and YouTube, but I'll tell you about it. Um, did the princes even die, Amy? Did they even die? Um, so uh, Linda says, Gareth um, Gareth Russell. So Gareth Russell is a fantastic historian. He's he's written so many brilliant books. His latest one, um, the uh, sort of biography of the Queen Mother, in uh, 101 anecdotes, one for every year that she she was uh, that she lived, and um, but he's written fabulous books the biography on Catherine Howard and I've got an interview with him on my YouTube channel um about the downfalls of Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard and uh, Linda says that he's also been on with Susanna Lipscomb on um the not just the Tudors oh yeah that's her podcast isn't it um in regards to Catherine Howard and Jane uh, Lady Jane Rochford uh yes sorry Jane Lady Rochford yes so um Yes, there's lots, lots of, lots of stuff you can listen to about about them. Um, so where was I? So yes, so this act of attainder. So that that was that was something I had been dying to see. Now the other one, or the next one I'm going to talk about is the act for poisoning, and the reason I want to talk about this one is it's notorious because it appears in the Tudor series. If you watched um, watched that, uh, was that Showtime? Um, and oh, I should sorry, I should also say Maria's just reminded me. Uh, talking about Gareth again. Um, <laughs> how can I forget? He is my tour historian. He's the tour historian on all my tours uh, that I've got running uh, this year and uh, the Anne Boleyn tour next year, which is I've only got one room left, by the way. So if you're interested in doing the Anne Boleyn tour. In May, I have one room left for 2024. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait till 20, 2025. Uh, but yeah, Gareth is the tour historian with us. <clears throat> um, so, so the act for poisoning. Now, this was uh, brought in again under Henry VIII, and uh, because tre- uh, poison, excuse me, wasn't a treasonable offence. 
Now you see how straight the reason we have poisoning down as treason is because Henry VIII was paranoid about poisoning, about poisons and being poisoned. So even though the Act of 15, uh, sorry, excuse me, 1352 is supposed to be trying to define treason within 200 years, um, and actually probably before that, but this is a good example of it being moulded and changed. Yeah, you know, Henry's just decided poisoning is treason. No logic behind it. Um, but there you go. Um, and this was passed to um basically in order to execute well they could have done it via murder uh, sorry via a murder um uh, charge uh the um the cook for i think it was bishop fisher he didn't die but a lot of his household did um and switch your ears off for a moment if you don't want to know how he died because it is as as executions go and this this was talked about in the executions exhibition as well um his is grim very very grim um and it the the punishment for it was execution by being boiled alive what i'm not sure about is um oh melissa says that the history of trees in this book from the national archives that the national archives ships internationally so you thank you melissa so you'll be able to get hold of that um i think it's just come out has it just come out of paperback or have I made that up? Because this is hardback, the one I've got, um, which probably makes the posting more expensive. Um, now, the, the the act of poisoning, so the, 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 um, as treason, that was used twice. but And it was taken back um, uh, in Edward VI. So as soon as Edward VI was on the throne, he, he, he pulled back a lot of what was... Um, a lot of what his dad had done actually anyway one of the things was intact um yes Casto. yes i know oh my world word weird not a good thing um no not 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 a nice thing to think about um lottie rose nothing beats george clarence's death well oh dear i know i wonder if he'd been allowed to drink a bit of it first might have been a bit better so that was the act of um yeah, the, the the porridge poisoner, the act for poisoning. Um, the other, um, the next thing that I haven't got a photograph of it, but in the exhibition they had the act of succession, Henry VIII's act of succession, which of course led to many people going to trial um, and being convicted of treason. Because Henry VIII puts himself as the head of the church in the country. And many people, including people he's very close to, like Sir Thomas More, cannot accept it. Um, again, this links uh, to the executions exhibition as well, because the, in the executions exhibition, there's a lot about Tyburn. And we'll go into that in a bit more detail a little bit later on. Um you may remember the tale of the monks at Charterhouse. That, that's Charterhouse in London. And the um, the prior um, and and a number of the monks, well, they all actually said they, they just, they, they prayed on it and they couldn't accept um, uh, Henry as the head of 
the church. Now that got them all killed in one way, shape or other. The prior plus three other priors. Um, so I can't remember the name of the prior uh, that I was thinking of. But anyway, he and three other priors, a monk and a lay brother, were all um, hung at, at Tyburn and all had uh, for treason, treason basically by, because they, they wouldn't accept um, Henry as head of the church. Now that is also um, what happened to Sir Thomas More. Sir Thomas More got, uh, Henry didn't, Henry, Henry wanted him to capitulate and he gave him opportunity to, but he never, he, he never, he never did. Now whether Henry is trying to get uh Sir Thomas to capitulate because he loves him, because he's a friend, because he's been a confidant, because he's been there by his side the entire time, or because it would have been an excellent coup for him. I don't know. I don't know. Leave that up to you to you to decide. Um hello Heidi, how are you? Better late than never, indeed. That's okay. That's okay. So another, of course, then we've we've briefly talked about this already is Anne Boleyn victim of uh Henry's um wrath and it's not for now but there's always the debate isn't there was it Cromwell was it Henry and we've discussed this many times on History After Dark we've discussed it um elsewhere and the we kind of always come around to the to the idea to the thought process that Cromwell couldn't have done something without Henry's express say so, without without his um, well either direction or seal of approval for it. How far Cromwell went with it, of course, might be something different. Now, the, I've had the, the uh, documents up on YouTube and Facebook. Now, where you see the um, the bigger. Um, uh, words then they're their names of people um yes amy exactly if henry had wanted her dead if sorry if henry hadn't wanted her dead she wouldn't have died indeed indeed i mean i do fully um believe that the not only were the accusations of adultery untrue but that wasn't actually like i said earlier what got her convicted that's what got the men convicted of treason she was convicted of treason um for the imagining of the king's death of the conversation that was overheard between her and norris um and i have a series of videos on youtube with the downfall of anne boleyn which go in chronological order i think there's four parts to it which you can have a look at and i cover all of this in there um but it was incredibly moving to see the trial document, to see the actual document of the, uh, you know, the trial of, of Anne Boleyn, which took place, uh, by the way, at the Tower of London in the Great Hall, which, which doesn't exist any longer. Uh, that is where that all happened. Um, but it was, yeah, it was incredible to see to see the document. So moving on from the Tudors. No, no. Leave the Tudors. No, we have to move on from them. I'm going to take you to. Um, have I got this one? Oh, if I haven't got this one, I don't think I've got this one to show you on um, on Facebook. But it was in my newsletter 
And it was the Montego letter. And I, I think I've gone on about this a little bit before, actually. Uh, if you watched um, History After Dark last week, Kat and I were talking about our visits. And uh, she challenged me to come up with three documents that I was most excited about seeing at the uh, at the 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 exhibitions and the Monteagle letter was was one of the ones that I picked out for um uh for for the treason exhibition now the Monteagle letter is the one that was sent um by one of the conspirators don't know who but there are there were fingers pointed um to their I think it was was their brother-in-law Lord Monteagle hence the name Monteagle letter, uh, basically warning him not to go to the state opening of Parliament. And and it lit, and it actually says that Parliament um, would receive a blow. Um, so a, a not too subtle pun. And that's what was, he, he reported it. And that's what led to the, uh, the searches under the House of Parliament and the discovery of Guy Fawkes. And in the exhibition, they also had the... Um, the uh, declaration by Guy Fawkes and the other conspirators to basically their, their, um, that they had been involved in this plot. They also had, um, now this, I've put it up on Facebook and Instagram, uh, uh, on YouTube, excuse me. And, um, so for you on Instagram, it's, uh, it's this massive, it's a, a smallish document with a huge seal and it's the seal of James I. And this document makes the, uh, the 5th of November, a public holiday, a thanks, a, a holiday of Thanksgiving for the, um, for the savior of James I. And, um, his, his eldest son, Prince Henry would have been with him as well. It would have, I mean, it would have blown parliament up we would if if the gunpowder plot had succeeded we are ah, jenna's liking it on youtube yeah um on the sorry it's absolutely pel- pelting it down rain outside um if the gunpowder plot had succeeded uh from my understanding from people who know i don't know anything about gunpowder and explosives why would i uh but from listening to people who do, the crater that would have been created, I'm not sure what we would have had left of that part of London. So the House of Parliament would have gone. I don't know how much of Westminster Abbey would have survived. And of course, you're right next to the Thames. So presumably everywhere would have been well, would have been flooded. Um, it would have been a catastrophe and it makes me wonder. It would have. Cha- it, I think it would have changed where the well, clearly, where the seat of power um, would have ended up because, you know, our, our, our parliament still meets at the at the Palace of Westminster, and it, where would it have gone? Oh, I just find it fascinating the kind of the repercussions that would have come just from the physical damage that the gunpowder plot would have would have wreaked had it have succeeded um but yes yeah, so here is Jane. so um dr cat was talking about the seal because it was a little bit a little bit unnecessarily large <laughs> but uh but there you go one not one to be understated uh james the first now james the first son charles the first and we've already spoken a little bit about this um 
was tried for treason. And like I say, I have a whole uh, hour, <laughs> if you look a few episodes back, uh, on how how on earth could we try a king for treason if treason laws were to protect the king. Um, uh, Maria, no clue why the gunpowder plot brought Winston Churchill to mind. But how big is Winston the dog now? So I have a old English bulldog called Winston, who was an incredibly cute little puppy. He's now a rather large dog. <laughs> He's still really cute. He's still really cute. He's still puppyish because he isn't yet one. Uh, but he's a, he's a big dog. He's a big dog. Uh, Melissa says, I found a show on YouTube that recreated the gunpowder plot. They rebuilt the building and added in the people and then blew it up. Ooh. All they found of James was the top of his head. Oh, that's grim. <laughs> it's a grim episode. Um, um uh, Beverly says, I saw a documentary that the gunpowder was degrade, had degraded, was degraded, and so would not have been as potent or dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, yes, so it could have been any, I mean, even if it had done less damage than, um, than it would have potentially done, presumably there was still going to be enough damage that it would, it could have meant that a change in, um, the seat of power was required. Although saying that, that had already happened in uh, Henry VIII's reign. Um, ish, actually. Well, let's not go. That, that's, that's probably a bit more complicated. That'll get, that'll get me off on a tangent. But when the houses of, Palace of Westminster burnt down in Henry VIII's reign, this is when you get the um, Whitehall Palace, rise of Whitehall Palace, which he'd taken over from York Place, taken over from Cardinal Wolsey and was rebuilding it for him and Anne. But uh, necessarily the court had to move there because the Palace of Westminster burnt down, but it was actually enough for the Parliament to still um, meet there. But obviously the real power was with Henry that was at um, that was at Whitehall. And I th- I'm sure Simon Thurley in his book talked about it being called the New Westminster as if it was going to be whole scale moved over. Melissa, not real people, mannequins. <laughs> Good, good. Right, Charles I. So Charles I trial. Charles I, James I's son, Mary Queen of Scots, grandson, is tried for treason. And the document now bound. So if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook, you'll see it looks like it's in a book because it's bound. And that is the, the trial document of Charles I. Um, Charles I famously he didn't recognize the court um, and uh, refused to um, yeah refused to recognize their jurisdiction um, but it, it's just incredible to see the actual document other things that were in there um, right next to the trial document was the there was an act of attainder after the restoration for the so-called regicides, the people who had signed the death warrant for Charles I. Um, and there was also um, the, uh, the, the, the bill that, um, uh, was it a bill that 
oh, an order, sorry, the exhumation order for Oliver Cromwell. Link back to Tyburn. Oliver Cromwell's corpse was hung um, at Tyburn. And his head was popped on a spike over Westminster Hall until it got blown down in a gale. There you go. Um, so, yeah, so you had that. Um, there was so much in this treason exhibition. Honestly, I could go on forever. Have um, have a look at the book. Have a look for it on Audible. I'm not I'm not plugging it because I get I don't get anything for this, by the way. I just I I think you'll like it. So that's why I'm telling you about it. Um, the also the rest is history podcast was very good as well as a as a starter for 10, as I say, for um, for looking at that. So I want to move on to the executions exhibition. This closes. I'm pretty sure it closes on Sunday. Um, Caroline heads will rule. Yeah. They will if they get blown down off their spike. Yeah. Um, so Linda says, seeing those documents in person is amazing. It was. It was so incredible. Because I, could, honestly, cause I could keep going on about all the ones that were there. And so it was cabinet after cabinet after cabinet. And it was set out in chronological order. So like I say, the first thing you saw was the Treason Act of 1532. 1352 sorry I keep getting that wrong right 1352 um and then it went in uh, chronologically so I'm stopping at sort of the Stuart period but it kept it kept going it kept going um um <laughs> Castor, it's amazing you have time to read and put out all this content yeah I'm not actually sure I'm not actually sure how my brain copes right so linked so well over to the executions exhibition in no particular order actually I've, I've what I've done is I've picked out a few things that I think you will like to see something that were some things that were hard hitting so really brought the um uh, essence of the exhibition to to mind sort of a bit hard hitting We've heard about the executions so often, you know, beheadings on Tower Hill, um, hangings at Tyburn, uh, burnings at the stake of, of heretics, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I don't know about you, but I think we can sort of get a little bit immune to it, to what that actually means. Um, sorry, Maria. Uh, were Charles' trial documents publicly available at all back then? Just wondering how his next level petty son got hold of all the names. So yeah, so the uh, the the act of it, uh, the um, the death warrant uh, was um, an act of record piece of record. So yeah, he got hold of it. I think there was a lot of people chasing um, as well, though. I, I don't think it was just contained to. I think when, when Charles II came, but was restored and went after the um, the the people who he he saw as being responsible for the the death of his his father, I think he promised um, you know certain dispensations for whatever reason, and then would go back on his word. And I th so I think there was, I don't think it was as simple as right. Here's the list of names, and they're and they're just the people he he went after. I think there was some ebbing and flowing of 
the definition of who he was going to go after. Um, But in the executions exhibition, they had items that they think were Charles, well, that belonged to Charles I. Um, Now, there's a a, um, what they've called a vest or shirt um, in that I've seen on documentaries before that 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 I've seen said was Charles I. What Charles I was actually wearing um, at his execution. Hello, Jackie over there in Baltimore. How are you doing? Uh, however, when it, when I looked at it, so I was very excited. This is this is actually the shirt, Charles I shirt, is what I went to this particular exhibition to see. So the, the the treason one, the Anne Boleyn trial document, was the one that caught my eye. And this in this one, it was the Charles I shirt. However, <laughs> they can't actually be totally sure of the provenance or that he wore it on the day of his execution. Boohoo. But um, but it was it was still it was moving to see it. And we saw a portrait that we had never seen before. When I say portrait, it <laughs> that's probably not quite. I don't know. What, what do you call it? It's a, it's a painting um, or really uh, depicting Charles I as a martyr. So he has his eyes closed. He has the white um, uh, cap on. Um, from his execution his hair is perfect um and his head's been sewn back on so he's shown as a martyr and you have the um you have depictions of of england wales and ireland allegories um the grieving and bereft at the death of the king and Kat and I had never seen this this painting before and there was not much information with it. So don't know who when it was painted or by whom or who owns it now. So don't know if it's owned by the museum themselves or it's been loaned. Normally it has a thing saying if it's been loaned, but there was nothing next to it. So it was quite intriguing. That So there's, there was a lot to do with Charles I there. Um and also quite a lot to do with Tyburn. One of the things that really um, got me was the, so they, they had lots of, um, first of all, sort of wood carving, you know, the, the pictures um, from like Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, then hangings at Tyburn, uh depictions of beheadings on Tower Hill, um, hangings in the Docklands area for smugglers. And the one thing that went through all of these was the size of the crowds. Um, yes, Maria, my, my mic is fluffy. <laughs> it was it was it was cutting out a little bit last week. Is the sound okay, everybody? Let me know. Trying things out. Um yeah, it's the size of the crowds. Just how many people would um, would come out to see the executions? And it, I, yeah, I just to, and so Tyburn, which you can see on this little map um, that I'm showing on Facebook and YouTube. Here is the Tyburn tree next to the park. Um, the so at Tyburn, there was actually um, by the mid eighteenth uh, 
century, oh, good, this sounds good, by the mid-18th century was a permanent um, stand created, ready for execution days that people could pay to to go into and uh, and sit in. Thank you, Heidi. So the the public spectacle of it, because I, I should make clear that the exhibition was about public executions. It's about 700 years, a period of 700 years of public executions in London, um, because London has the... Um, the largest concentration of execution sites anywhere in this country. So there was a really good graphic at the beginning of the exhibition of a map, like an old map of London, and it went through all the execution sites. And by the time they'd plotted them all on, um, and they did it with blood splatters, graphics of blood splatters, which are very effective, um, it, covers (laughs) covered the city so yeah that was that was that was stark that was that was a good really really powerful way to um to depict to depict the sites um so yeah so i thought anyway tyburn actually you know so on this map um of oh goodness i can't remember what year the map was um sorry about that i think it's yeah, I don't want to guess. I think it's 18th century map, but either way, um, it's of Middlesex. The map, the Tyburn tree actually features on there, so it's a permanent feature by that point. And the Tyburn tree, so it was a permanent hanging uh, execution site for hangings, and the tree. So it's not a tree. It was it was built, and it's like a triangular frame or triangular shape. So with three legs, a tripod basically <laughs> with the triangular frame um because it was more efficient because they could hang more people at one time hmm. linda's just said being at the site on tower hill with the names of those who died there was very moving yes we went there last year as part of the anne boleyn tour so we we visit the tower of london on the 19th of may to coincide with the anniversary of anne boleyn's execution there and for anyone who wants to and i think everyone came with us last time didn't they we uh we take a walk up to Tower Hill, which is outside of the Tower of London. So you notice in the executions exhibition, there was nobody. So Anne Boleyn doesn't feature because she's not executed publicly. It's for, it's it's looking at public executions. But Tower Hill, of course, outside of the Tower of London is a public execution site, was a public, public execution site. Uh, Claudia says, if you think about it, history repeats itself. I think the world is going through similar things history always repeats itself and sometimes that's most of the time I think that's reassuring and that we know it's going through cycles sometimes but it can be incredibly frustrating you think if everyone there's, there's this panacea I think isn't there that if we all knew our history um that we could change we could see things coming and we could change things but um um yeah but Maria says, why do us humans become more efficient only when homicidal mass murders are involved? So I thought you might like a look at this map. Sorry on Instagram, but you can always go back and have a little look at this. I'm not sure if I can share it elsewhere because I don't know what the copyright is of it, but it shows the Tower of London um, and the Tower Hill execution site, which Linda has just helpfully brought up. <laughs> um, and it's really a beautiful map 
um, of the tavern. I don't know if I can zoom in. No, I don't think I can. Um, but yes, yeah, so it shows um, shows the Tower of London, White Tower, of course. Um, actually, the Great Hall is still there, and the apartments on this um, that the, the um, sorry the Royal Apartments that Anne Boleyn was kept in are still there on this depiction. And you have Tower Hill. Um, the moat is uh, flooded, which it's not now. You can see the main gate coming in. Um, and um, and yes, you can see the proximity of the Tower Hill site um, to the Tower of London from this map. So I thought you might like to look at that because that's that's quite interesting. Um, another th- another point to, to to Linda's point as well about looking at the um, the site now at Tower Hill. So there's a sort of memorial garden. Um, it's a square piece. It's not that big actually. Um, uh, sort of cobbled and there are plaques around the side with the names of people who were executed there it's by no means everyone who was executed there in fact I don't think any of the men who were beheaded there um in May 1536 uh you know who who were brought down as part of Anne Boleyn's downfall I don't think any of them are there but uh it's not clear why certain ones were picked out and not others. Um, so, the, so, so the executions exhibition is, it was very hard hitting, but there were a couple of things that, um, well, there's one thing in particular that made it really, you know, when something actually you can, you can sort of, it's not something that's happened in the past. It's something that you, you're suddenly sort of connected with. I don't know if that makes <laughs> makes sense to anybody else. But for me, in this exhibition, it was um, one of the petitions for mercy. So the executions exhibition <clears throat> wasn't a chronological exhibition. It went through the stages of um, from being um, convicted, uh, and and to being prepared for execution the the mercy so the trial if there was one um um the petitions for mercy the uh, preparing for execution execution and it actually went on to talk about as well what happened to executed bodies because a little bit further on in time they were given over for medical research but the petitions for mercy were i felt particularly hard hitting and there was one in in particular and I spoke about this in my um I think I spoke about this on history after dark last week and I definitely put it into my um substack newsletter which is free if you want it um and this is it's the petition exhibition sorry a petition for mercy for a, a 18 year old uh, man I have a soon to be 18 year old to me they're still children <laughs> maybe that's um just me but anyway he um his name was john harwood he was 18 and he'd uh he'd been involved in a highway robbery and he had been sentenced to 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 die and a petition for mercy went in he was part of a gang much of older people who had as far as the petition said taken advantage of him while he was he was drunk um and suggested he was involved and whatever and his mother is one of the signatories on this petition for mercy. Her name is Priscilla Harwood and she can't sign her own name because she hasn't ever been taught to read or write. And so her signature 
her mark on this petition for mercy for her 18-year-old son, which makes me want to cry, was a cross. And that I found that really, really hit me. And um, like I said, if you've been watching um, all, all the way through, I went to this exhibition with Dr. Cat and we were talking about, uh, yes, sure, Aston, um, although that's rather quick for a question, you've only just joined. Um, Dr. Cat and I were, uh, were going around this and it's just, it, the, the, it was a waste of life. They actually um, had a part where they, there was a big list going up a screen of, oh, I'm just reconnecting on Instagram. Um, there was a list on the screen that, so there was a list on this screen that went up of, um, of, uh, of people who'd been executed and their crimes. I mean, lit crimes. Let's, let's, let's do the air quotes thing. And it was, this was not for, it just it didn't deserve death. And it was, it was just getting more and more hard hitting as, uh, as, as, it, as the exhibition went on. It's quite exhausting actually looking at this sort of thing, um, but incredibly important, I, I think. And we were saying how lucky, we're looking at it as a piece of history. This still happens. People are still put to death for crimes. Um, and what is a crime changes. One of the, um, they, they also had a, a piece and I'm going to show you one of them, but they had a, um, the broadsheets, so the newspapers and so how the uh, executions had been reported on. Uh, not the one I have up on the screen on YouTube and Facebook, but another one was the, the report of um, two men who had been executed um, for for sodomy, but People died. People were killed for that. Um, so, yeah, it was really hard hitting. Now, this I uh, will probably end on. This is, um, I just think, <sighs> if you want a little bit more evidence of how um, things don't change much and how we should always be um, wary, not wary, aware of uh, how things are done. This is the broadsheet. So this is the, like I said, the the newspaper reporting of um, of executions. This particular one is a broadsheet uh, article about the life trial confession and execution of a man called Thomas Corrigan. And um, you might not be able to see this on the screen unless you blow it up. For those on Instagram, anyway, I would explain. There were different sections um, talking about his uh, the crime, talking about the trial, um, and talks about there's a whole column about the execution, including the noise he makes when he's hung. Um, before that, his last words. His last words were supposed to. So this was he. He was convicted of killing his wife in uh, 1856, and Thomas's last words were supposed to have been, "When I slew my dear Louisa, wondering, sorry, wandering was my jealous mind." Um. So they have his last words. They have a description of his execution. They have a description of the noises he makes. Yet, <laughs> he actually had already had or had his um, um, uh, his sentence commuted to transportation. 
he goes to Australia. Um, he actually is a free man by 1861 and he works as a journalist, perhaps one slightly better than the one who'd pretended to cover his execution. Interesting, right? Um, yes, I know, Maria. Yeah, so that is... Um, uh, yeah, so the, 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 that, that was the term used in the law at the time. Again, actually, Gareth Russell has a really good podcast episode on, sort of the, the, on sodomy, the supposed crime of sodomy. Um, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it is a jarring word. Um, and but unfortunately, that is it just what it was, um, what the actual crime was down as. So I'm going to finish there because we've got to the hour. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, just a reminder of the books that you might enjoy if you um, want to look into this a bit more. Uh, Casto Van Clem says, this proves written history can't always be trusted. Not just history, darling. <laughs> Not just history. Um, yeah, so execution, 700 years of public execution. That's by the Museum uh, of London. Um, they sell that on their website. History of Treason, like I said, that's also on, sorry, Instagram, it's a little bit blurry. Um, History of Treason is also on uh, Audible and apparently the National Archives do do uh, worldwide uh, postage. <laughs> We've got to the hour, you see. Now my brain's going, what? What am you saying? Now, just as a little reminder, if you're not part of my patron, come along and join us. This is the book we're reading at the moment for our book club, Blood, Fire and Gold by Estelle Peronk, the dual biography of Elizabeth I and Catherine de' Medici. We're meeting next on the 21st of May. So if you want to come along, join me on Patreon. Join the rest of us. We're having a lot of fun over there. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me. There's no history after dark tonight because we're having a bit of a break. But if you watch us there, that's me, Dr. Kat and Catherine Brooks. We are back next week, 8.15. We're talking about Richard the Lionheart, Cour de Lyon. Um, so I will see you for this show this time next week for History After Dark oh, um, next Wednesday evening. All right, everyone, have a great day. I'll see you really soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.